Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Ginny Alexander about her novel, Dear Isabel. Ginny lives in rural Ireland and teaches English as a foreign language to students all over the world. Her first piece of writing was published when she was just 10 years old in Horse and Pony magazine, and now she has a contract with an independent publisher to write three novels. In this episode, we talk about writing unlikable characters, how dog walking is essential to her writing process, and giving yourself time away from writing if you're stuck. But first, here's Ginny with an extract from Dear Isabel. I wonder whether Isabel would be sympathetic to me if it were anyone else I had fallen in love with. Either way, I feel a need to say to her, however far she runs, or wherever she runs to, it will always be the same, even across the sea, even in her own safe homeland, someone somewhere is sleeping with their friend's husband, or their wife's friend. She can't hide from this. It is strange how I am still shocked to hear of every other story. As the friend I used to be to her, before I wanted to take her husband for my own, I want to warn her. Dear Isabel, even over there in your own homeland, in America, land of the free, you are not safe from cheats and liars. They are in every corner of the world. Even there, even where you feel safe on your home ground, there will be men who take up with their wife's friend and break hearts and make promises and break them just as quickly. For when one promise is kept, another is broken. I also want to warn her that if, as she seems to want to hear and Charles seems to want to say, it all meant nothing to him at all, then... Dear Isabel, dear, dear Isabel... Surely if it meant nothing, he would do it again. I believe it is better to risk everything for someone who means everything than to risk everything for nothing, for a mistake. I became my best friend's biggest mistake, for which he has said he is sorry, but sorry by that point is just another empty promise. Dear Isabel, if he could hold me in his arms and tell me how much he loved you, if he could kiss me and tell me how much he loved you, if he could take me in his arms after a weekend with you, kiss me, hold me, touch me, and tell me his weekend with you has shown him how much he still loved you, then why, oh why, was he holding me in his arms? It's not impossible to want it all. Hi Jenny, it's so good to have you on the podcast to talk about Dear Isabel today. 
Hi, Chloe. It's really great to talk to you. So can you kick us off with a little plot summary of Dear Isabel? I can. Uh, the plot's pretty simple. It basically um, tells the story of an unnamed narrator who has had an affair with her business partner, who was also her friend, who was also married to her other friend. Uh, the book kicks off when Isabel, the, the man's wife, finds out that they've had this affair, even though the affair has been over for quite a long time by this point. So Isabel finds out. And the book kind of swings, much like the, the narrator's mindset, it swings between trying to move on and trying to look back. So there are flashbacks to the affair and how she deals with the after, aftermath of it and how she tries to recover and also the damage it's done to the two families as well. Um, so that's kind of the, the brief summary of it. And there's also a lot of letters written to Isabel that we don't quite know whether these get sent or not. There's some ambiguity that readers particularly have picked up on. It's like, do, mm. they, do they send them or don't they? And it's because it's told from the narrator's point of view, it's quite biased, quite unreliable, quite emotional. Yeah, um, I was going to say, you've got that unreliable narrator thing going on. It's very much from her point of view, and she's very much woe is me. I mean, one of my less favourable reviewers said she is utterly continually self-absorbed, and I, <laughs> I couldn't summarise her better if I tried. I mean, that's what she is. <laughs> so... As you mentioned, the plot hinges on this um, infidelity. And I just wondered where was it? Was it that that gave you the inspiration? Where did your inspiration come from? Where was that first spark? Actually, a mix of things. And it's funny because when I was thinking about this thing, I can't really remember the first individual spark because it was like a mix of things. Mm. I began writing this about 10 years ago when Ireland, where I live, was thrown into the depths of recession and it was a truly hellish time for a lot of people. So more so than the affair, the ending of the business was mm. quite a big thing because this was something that was happening all across the country. And the recession had got kind of boring as well. <laughs> you know, people didn't want to wallow in this recession. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, well, what else can we wallow in here? Why else might a business end under the disguise of, oh, it must have ended because of the recession? And because in my own past, I've worked quite closely with friends and I got to thinking, well, you know, what else could happen in this situation? And that's partly where the where the affair came from. But also, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but half my village was doing this kind of thing at the time. <laughs> and I don't know whether it was tied into the recession mm. that people were sad, lonely, suddenly at home, much like lockdown, I think. Mm. They suddenly found themselves rootless because jobs were going and money was getting very difficult and everybody was in this really weird situation and I guess maybe that triggered people's firstly having time to talk to other people and get to know other people but also just looking for something a, a bright spot somewhere mm. so I had I had my own failed business uh, my own my own loss of job I was grieving for that for sure and there's a bit of that comes into the story 
but also just watching people around me being impacted by infidel infidelity on all angles of it because they had a friend who was the narrator she was basically mm. having an affair with a married man she was married to her own husband um but equally I had another friend whose husband had gone off with her best friend and these two had been friends forever I mean this was her longest friend they'd been friends since childhood and suddenly her husband went off with her so I was seeing this from all angles Mm. And I know that one of the things you'd asked before when, when we were talking about getting ready for this was getting people to talk about it must have been difficult. Yeah, but actually, again, I quote, I found a line from the book that really resonates here. It's like, once the floodgates were open, it was beyond my, will, my willpower to hold back the flood. Once mm. somebody is willing to listen, people are willing to talk they've got to get that grief out you mentioned about um your main character who we've already said is nameless in the book um as being unlikable and I know you mentioned that review of yours uh the slightly negative one saying <laughs> that she is kind of self-absorbed how did you feel about writing a character that you knew was going to divide opinion were you were you totally fine with that Were you kind of you do you embrace that idea I found it quite freeing Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really thought about this all that much until recently. But because I already knew right from the start, this woman has cheated on her husband and her friend and ruined her own business and shot herself in the foot and destroyed her families. No, she's going to be unliked right from the start. So now I can have fun with it and it doesn't matter. I, mm -hmm. I like an unreliable, dislikable narrator myself when I'm reading. Yeah. And it just gave me that freedom to not I mean I don't want to say I didn't care but <laughs> to a point I didn't care because I wasn't even really writing it with readers in mind I was writing it because it was a book I wanted to write mm. so it didn't matter that much whether anybody liked her but above all I wanted it to be honest I wanted it to show this is what actually people can be like mm. there are people out there who a lot of people and it's not something that's talked about how people can fall apart and just be that person who is just it's all about me right now because you can't you can't take in other things if you're yeah. going through that level of terrible things recession and losing your job and losing your friend and losing your lover and mm. nearly losing your husband but not quite and <laughs> and it's like you know she there was nothing left for her to lose it didn't matter if if so nobody liked your, her by that point. <laughs> your reason for keeping her nameless, was it to make her so that she could kind of be anyone? Was that the reason yes, behind absolutely. keeping her nameless? And actually at one point I tried to rewrite it from the third person. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because when I came to the point where the book was almost finished and I had to write a synopsis and she had no name, that was really <laughs> Yeah, difficult. I didn't think of that. I'm like, oh no, I'm going to have to rewrite <laughs> this and give her a name. And I wrote about, I rewrote about the first five or six chapters from the third person and I gave her a name and it just didn't work. It lost the raw, it, I can't even think what the word, I mean, you know, rubbish writer I am, I can't think of <laughs> words in an interview. But by naming her, it took something away from her mm. and it lost that, it lost everything that I was trying to do, I think, really, and also stopped her being every woman. And I desperately wanted her to be, 
your friend, your sister, your cousin, your neighbor, mm. because he probably is. <laughs> and that's something that really surprised me when I was writing and I started to research as I knew that there were people around me who were who were having affairs. I did a little Google and I mean, we all know that everything Google says is completely true, but it threw up this statistic, one in four people in a long term relationship experience infidelity. And then I was thinking, you know, that's only the ones who admit to it. Let's add on the ones who keep it a secret, mm. which I'm sure is a lot more. One in four people. That's an awful lot of people. So she is every woman or at least one in four of them. You mentioned you don't really or you didn't really write with kind of your readers in mind. But I, what I liked at the back of your book, you've got uh, book club questions. So I wondered whether this was something that came in the editing process, maybe that you were thinking about ways your readers might debate your story. Yes, um, definitely. I didn't think about it till quite late in the process. I think we'd already done I think we'd already done the final edits before I even thought about it. And I just said to my publisher, hold on a minute, this is something that we probably should put questions for because we'd already talked about how we could get people talking about it mm. in the run-up to publication. I thought, well, yeah, let's get people to think about it. And not so much to even think about the book I've written, but maybe to think about, is this really happening? Are there people out there who need support? Do I have friends who I could have this conversation with? Am I in the narrator's shoes? Should I open up about this to somebody? So even if it just opens some dialogues? I know I watched an interview with you that you did with your publisher and you said that you had been writing Dear Isabel for years and you got to a point where you couldn't write anymore because you were completely stuck on the ending. So do you think having that time away from your manuscript sometimes helps you when you're stuck? It was absolutely imperative. And I would say that to anyone. I would say if you're stuck, put it aside. I mean, I actually wrote another full novel and half a novel in that interim and the deal I turned down was for the book that I, I wrote in the middle of not finishing Dear Isabel. Um, and I absolutely go write something else, go take a walk, go, mm. I don't know, do something completely different and put it aside. And it was always sort of ticking in the back of my head. And sometimes it would tick louder and sometimes <laughs> not really very much at all. But I think the reason I couldn't finish it back then was because everybody whose story I was watching or listening to or bringing into it hadn't ended. Everybody was still moving through that process and hadn't got to the end. So I couldn't come up with an ending I felt would work. Mm. And then it did take, it took that 10 years to suddenly think, oh, all of these people have now moved on. Their lives have changed. They are still alive and kicking. They've come through it. And then it was looking at how. But yeah, definitely take take those breaks. So tell me then about your writing routine and how do you fit it around your day job? Because you're a teacher. Well, this is my problem. Uh, I really, my, again, my top tips for writers, make time to write. <laughs> and I don't do it enough. I try to do NANO, National Novel Writing mm -hmm. Month, every year. And I try to do the camps that they do in the summer. And 
that always gets me into a really good routine and I get up and I get on and I write loads and I'm really productive. I work well if I have to answer to somebody. So by logging my word count and aiming for that 50,000 words in a month is really good for me. And then, you know, November ends, Christmas comes around, everything changes, I lose the routine, nothing happens, work piles up, mm -hmm. I don't get out of bed. And then another deadline comes around and I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to quickly write. So my routine is not a model routine, not a routine <laughs> I would recommend to anybody, fairly sporadic and interfered with by the day job, mm. life, all the other stuff. I mean, I nearly finished my, my next novel and I got to about 70,000 words and I haven't had time to get back to it since about Christmas. And it's like, mm. no. So, so yeah, for you, it's a case of fitting in writing where you can, is it? Kind of grabbing it little really bits of time. Is. Or getting a bit better disciplined, which happens about twice a year for Nano. <laughs> Um, I want to talk a little bit about now about your publisher because I think we've mentioned already that you um, are with an independent press and your process of getting a book deal was slightly different. So can you talk a little bit about how your book deal came about? As you know, I, I started Dear Isabel about 10 years ago. Then I put it aside. Then I finished it in Nano of 20, 2019 or 2020. Where are we now? 2022 now. <laughs> Um, and I finished it at the end of that November, got to the end of it, worked out how the ending was happening, did a lot of editing on it, on the earlier parts, wrote the end, hadn't actually edited the entire thing, but there was a Pitmad the week after. So Pitmad being the Twitter pitch opportunity where people get to write a tweet to pitch their book. Uh, the publisher... The publisher that I've gone with had liked one of the pitches, asked me to query her, submit the first couple of chapters. By that Sunday, she had requested the full, so three days later. Then she said to me, don't worry if you won't hear anything for a while. We won't be in touch with anyone till after Christmas. By the 14th of December, she had offered me a full contract. <laughs> So we literally went from me finishing the book to being offered the contract in a fortnight. And I, I had it signed around about Christmas time. Um, we met on Zoom. We chatted. Mm -hmm. I liked her. I knew instantly that she understood the book. And that was really, really important to me. Mm. I also liked her. We kind of, you know, we hit it off. Yeah. And, and I do believe very much in trusting your gut instinct. I think you're right. I think when anyone selects, whether it be an agent, be it publisher, anyone they're working with creatively, I think it's really important for them to have mm. that rapport, like you say, make sure they understand you, your intentions with the book, and also what you want the book to be. It's no good if you meet someone that wants to change it into something completely different, because you've got to be true to your intentions with the book as well. So what is it that appealed to you, um, to go with a, a small publisher rather than I know you said with this book particularly you thought it would be a hard sell but what was yeah. it that appealed to you about working with a small publisher? I actually wrote a blog post about this about a year ago and there are actually a lot of benefits the the first and biggest one is we have a lot more personal contact I 
can message Jean at pretty much any time of day or night. She'll respond when she can. I mean, she's in America, so our time zones are fairly opposite. But we have very good open communication most of the time. I have a lot more input into what's going on. And likewise, she tells me a lot more about the process because mm -hmm. not only is she quite small, but it's also still an emerging small press. They've published a few things, but this is the big year for them when they've branched out a bit more and taken on these, these unknowns, basically. So I'm... I like the fact we're kind of learning together, even though obviously she knows a lot more about publishing than I ever will, but she shares that journey with yeah. me. And I mean, again, elsewhere in the book, Isabel calls the narrator a control freak. I'm like, mm, maybe that's me too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there's more in the narrator of me than I'm prepared to admit. Maybe I am that control freak. I like to know what's going on. A massive, massive thing for me was that I got the cover that I wanted. I, I mean, there's a whole story behind the cover of Dear Isabel because... I actually know, I don't know the photographer, but I know the person who was her boyfriend at the time that the photo was taken. And they live in New Zealand. And I met this guy. He actually gave me the ending of the story as well. Met this guy on a ferry. I've written about him already. And I actually won a grindstone competition by writing the story of this stranger that my daughter and I met on the ferry and brought home. And he is a, is a photographer and his girlfriend at the time was a photographer and I saw this photo on their Facebook page and loved it. Promptly wrote an extra chapter into Dear Isabel to match this photo. When I got the publishing deal I was like oh I wonder if we could use that photo for the cover and we did. I think for every writer the whole publishing journey is a learning process because I mean you'll know there's there's stuff that you hear or you get sent an email about something and you think I've got no idea what that means <laughs> and you know there's so many things that you 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 learn on the job essentially and I think it's nice that's why writing communities are so helpful because if you don't understand something or if you need help a, a silly example but getting your book on Goodreads and confirming that you are actually an author can be really difficult and some I mean yeah. I think you've had the same as me I've been rejected three times um so you know just getting advice for things like that with a with a community is really helpful the community is incredible I mean again a pro of having a small publisher if I don't understand what she's mm. saying I just ask her and then she explains it as if she's talking to a four-year-old which is great <laughs> and I don't think you'd get that so much in a big publisher but also our group the debut 2022, did I say that? Is it 2022? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that group is really good. And particularly for me as coming from a small publisher, I mean, I feel like I'm hanging on to everybody's coattails, <laughs> but I'm going to hang on as hard as I can <laughs> because just by helping each other out and commenting on each other's posts, it helps to raise everybody's profile. And I think those with small publishers need that so much. And that's something I'm really, really grateful to. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I know you're doing an MA at the moment. So I was just wondering, as we've been talking about kind of the writing community and support, what do you think is the most valuable part of your MA for you? The writing community and the Mm. support. (laughs) I mean, without (laughs) doubt, the feedback, the option, the opportunity to put out work in progress, new ideas, mad things that I've never tried before and to Mm. get feedback from tutors most of our tutors are published authors they're mostly uh, you know in in the writing field somewhere my peer feedback I'm very lucky in the group I'm in because there's a good tight-knit bunch of us who are brutally honest with each other yeah and again it's not for someone who's really thin-skinned if you're the kind of person who's like oh no well this bit's really rubbish actually then Mm. it's not a good place to be but if you're the kind of person who can actually take that information in and think why are they saying that or why did all of those people say the same thing Mm. about this passage it's amazing how much you can learn from it I I think I I think you know that I was recently long-listed for the Bath Flesh Fiction Award yes yes congratulations didn't make the shortlist didn't make the shortlist I got that email longlist is still an amazing achievement (laughs) That's been on my, I want to get to this point for so long. The piece I submitted was a piece I'd written for the MA. I'd had it right. feedback, I'd rewritten it, I'd analysed it, I'd had input, input into it, I'd had my peers reading it, I'd had my tutors reading it, and I made the long list. And I've never made the long list before off my own bat. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. That's really great. So, yeah, I mean, I did I did a, an open university degree in creative uh, module in creative writing a few years back too and 
same thing the feedback the opportunity to share mm. your work try new ideas get that feedback yeah and you're right about you can't be thin-skinned and and in a way it does prepare you for the next stage of the journey when you're having your work edited because there are going to be bits that you're going to have to cut there's going to be bits you're going to have to change and there is an element of not being precious about certain things obviously fight for the things that you believe in but um if there are parts that your editor is saying I don't think this works then you do have to sometimes listen to it Absolutely. It definitely does that. It definitely prepares you. And also it builds my own confidence in my writing. So when my editor does come back and say, don't like this bit, I actually can look at it with a well-balanced view and think, Mm. well, is my editor right? Or am I right? And I can argue my corner when I need to. It's like, no, you know, I'm happy with this bit. I know this works. I mean, Dear Isabel is full of cliches. It's full of adverbs. It's full of all the things that my MA tutors like, don't use those. <laughs> but then they're needed in that book and I can still stand by them and I can still read this book. I think it's a cliche, but it needs to be there because that's who that character is. And I could actually say to my editor, do not take those cliches out because they are integral to who that character is. So it, I mean, it's made, it's made me far more confident in my Mm. own writing by doing the MA and the the other module and that kind of thing. Anybody who gets a chance to do a course or to join a writing group with people who will give you good constructive feedback. Writing groups are tricky because they can go so much either way, but I'm in quite Mm. a nice one as well, where again, people are a nice mix of honest and kind. (laughs) So we've already mentioned your success with the uh, Bath long list. And I know you write short stories as well. No, it's fine. Go ahead. You need to be proud. Um, And I know you write short stories as well. So what's the process like? Uh, compared to writing a novel did you find it um, very different from writing a smaller piece yes because a short story is like instant gratification you can you can write a short story I mean most of the short stories I've written I've probably written within the space of a day and when I say Mm -hmm. written I mean first draft but I've got them out because I can sit down and it's a short enough piece that I have the time, I can stay focused for that long (laughs) and get the idea down. So then you've immediately got something that is complete that you can then work on. Whereas with a novel, it's like I said, with the book I'm writing at the moment, I've got to 70,000 words, time's got in the way, life's come along. Part of the reason I'm not now picking it up to carry on is because I know I've got to read all of those 70,000 words (laughs) to remember where I've got to before I can start and you mm. don't have that with short story it's like there it is I can read it in five minutes if I need to recap it because I've already forgotten the beginning you're less likely to have forgotten what happened because it's only 3,000 or 1,000 or whatever so definitely a different process you've given out so much advice already but I was wondering if you have any more top tips for writers <laughs> yeah, my top 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 tip is <laughs> do as I say not as I do make time to write yes <laughs> make have a writing routine yeah get out of bed don't think oh but I don't have to get up because I've got late classes this morning and I don't have to work till 10 o'clock so I'll stay in bed think oh I've got two extra hours I could get up and write something <laughs> <laughs> the 
my advice. <laughs> um, now, hold on while I just find my other very important piece of advice. My second thing, now this is not going to be practical for everybody, get a dog. And if you can't <laughs> get a dog, get something else. You, you do embroidery, don't you? I do, yeah. <laughs> it's probably the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> only, only Thinking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> something that frees up your mind completely. Mm. And anytime I'm stuck with my writing, I would be out with my dogs and something will happen. I, I changed my entire novel in process on the strength of a character who turned up in my head on a dog walk. I'm so happy with where that book's going since it changed. I'm writing, I have an assignment due the same week that my book comes out, of course. Of course. And <laughs> I was a little bit stuck on where that was going. And I had this idea because I saw something when I was in Brighton last week that sparked an, a, an idea and didn't really know where I could go with it had a very long dog walk the other day by the time I'd gone an hour and a half around the country lanes where I walk I had the entire story in my head and it's like wow and that happens so often because I'm away from my computer I've got free thinking time so you know go swimming take up embroidery uh, something that you don't have to really think while mm -hmm. you're doing it uh, that, that's my that's my main tip I don't think I have a bigger tip than free your brain up sometimes bubble baths <laughs> yeah bubble great baths idea. are harder because it's harder to write notes <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, you could uh voice note in the bath oh, yeah. I mean you know just do some splashing I, sounds in between <laughs> I've got better at voice notes while I'm out walking with mm. the dogs I used to try to hold it in my head and then I'd get home and be like I had such a good idea and it's just gone that's yeah. my other tip write things down or yeah. record them so I have these voice notes that are punctuated with me yelling at the dogs to drop dead birds <laughs> or tractors rumbling by. I'm like, Will, Sam, get back here! <laughs> so I have to kind of pick out the useful bits from all the background noise, but definitely, definitely make notes, write things down, get those ideas where they need to be. So when this podcast is uploaded, uh, Dear Isabel will already be out in the world. So I was wondering whether you could give us some comparisons or maybe describe which kind of readers would really enjoy Dear Isabel. I really struggled to find comparisons. There are quite a few books out there that are based on infidelity and affairs, but usually, even if they take the view, they take the, the other woman's point of view, they usually are a lot more sympathetic to that voice than I've been. Uh, I'm just flipping through my terribly printed notes. So a lot of the other affair-based books, for example, will validate the affair so much more. In Dear Isabel, she's just ordinary. There's nothing, nothing amazing. There's nothing wrong with her own husband. There's nothing wrong with Charles's own wife. They're just ordinary people who realise they're friends and friends like each other and then friends sometimes like each other even more. So I did try really hard to find comparable books and I read Jane Fallon, My Sweet Revenge, which is a great book. Um, Paula's husband is cheating in this book. She, so again, there's, there's your, 
your reason. She's allowed to have an affair because her husband had one mm. first. And she tries to make her own husband fall back in love with her purely so that it, he's really upset when she dumps him later. But in doing that, she then falls in love with the husband of the woman that her husband is sleeping with. So it has a very similar two couples intertwined mm. theme, but it's told, again, straight up front, Paula's okay to have an affair. Her husband did it first. He's the bad guy. Whereas in Dear Isabel, it's never okay. There's never any, it's okay. She, of course she can have an affair. It's fine. Uh, Amanda Brookfield, the other woman, again, a, a very good book about an affair. But again, right from the start, readers are invited to like the other woman, Fran, because her husband is an abusive bully. So again, mm. it's okay. She can go off and have this affair. We're rooting for her. We don't like her husband. Of course, she can go have a fling with this other guy. And he's allowed to have his affair because his own wife is just completely deranged. So most of the other books out there, they do seem to really validate. But I mean, you know, they're great books. They're about affairs. Mm. They're told from the point of view of the other woman but in a far more sympathetic way. And then actually a book that I read after I'd written the beginning of Dear Isabel, but before I'd written the end, I read All the Beggars Riding by Lucy Caldwell, Caldwell, I'm not sure how she pronounces her name. And that's probably more like Dear Isabel. It's told from a daughter's point of view long after the affair, but the the person who had the affair, whose name I think was Jane. Yeah, the story's narrated by the daughter, who is Lara. Lara's mother, Jane, had an affair, but didn't know, because she didn't know that her lover was married until much later on into mm -hmm. the relationship. But the way that's told, it felt like it had a lot more of the raw honesty and emotion that I tried to get into Dear Isabel. Um, and even as I was reading that, I was thinking that there are some similarities there in the way that it's been written and approached the subject. So, it, I mean, there are plenty of affair-based books out there, mm. but I do think there's something... I can't say this, it sounds awfully smug, but I don't mean it to be. It's like I, don't, I haven't found anything that mm. quite does what I've tried to do. I'm sure there's stuff out there, but if anyone finds and it... And I guess it's... Know. it's readers who have an open mind in that they don't mind reading characters that are maybe unlikable or unreliable or have done something that is against society's rules mm. something that they're not supposed to have done and actually allowing yourself as a reader to still feel some sympathy for this character who's technically done something pretty pretty bad mm. And finally, I know you're working on a lot because I always see you, even though you say you, you kind of squeeze your writing and I know you're always beavering away on something. So can you tell us what you're writing next or what you're writing now, Eden? I'm writing what will be my fourth no novel because at the end of this year, my second novel comes out, but that's very genre and just cosy mystery. And then I have the sequel to that cosy mystery out. So they're, they're already written. So what I'm writing at the minute, I... I'm really, really pleased with how it's coming. It's, it's working title is Jane Forgotten. And this is the one that kind of came to me when I was walking the dogs. I had the idea for it a very long time ago. 
because in my garden, I, I live on two and a half acres of wilderness in the bog end of Ireland. And we have some very, very old trees on our land. And I was clearing ivy off them and found some letters carved into the trunks. And I knew there was a story there. So then I started this story as a retelling of Red Riding Hood. And it was set in the 18 something or others in the middle of rural Ireland. And I didn't know where it was going. I submitted some parts of it to MA workshops. It was quite lyrical. It was didn't have a real definite narrator. And again, I sort of got stuck with it after I submitted some of it for an assignment. And then I was out walking the dogs and this character strolled into my head from my own childhood. When I was a child, I lived on a big country estate. My dad was a gardener for Lord and Lady somebody whose names I won't mention and I lived there for approximately two years of my life that I can't even remember except I remember a couple of very specific toys I remember the cattle grid and I distinctly remember that I played with a girl who was connected in some way to the big house and this girl just arrived in my head and she's like wait a minute this isn't a story about Red Riding Hood and the trees in your garden this is my story and the story now, it's told from somebody about my age, probably is me, really, um, who revisits her childhood home, knows that she can remember this girl, but nobody else can remember her. And it's the story of how she uncovers who the child was and why nobody else can remember her. And it's, it's not a ghost story, but it's sort of and it's not a historical story but it goes back to the 70s um so it, it's it's got that and again it's it's told from the the main part of the story is told from Bethany's point of view in the first person in the here and now but then it has a lot of flashbacks so again similar to Dear Isabel and that it's got what's happening now and what happened then but over a much wider stretch of time and she has a lot of flashbacks to her childhood, which are told still in, oh, they're told in third person, but still in the present tense, bizarrely. And I'm so happy with it. <laughs> I bashed a lot of it out in nano, so it's totally unedited. And I know when I read back through it, I'll be like, mm, maybe this wasn't so great. But at the minute, I'm just so happy with where it's gone so far and it's taken a lot of new directions because now it's not set in the 1800s in Ireland it's now set bang up to date and in the 1970s and it's set in England in a rural country estate so it's, it's had a lot of changes and I'm really quite excited about it actually. <laughs> oh that's great well I wish you all the luck with the novel you're working on now and dear Isabel and it was great to talk to you Ginny. Really, really nice to talk to you as well. That was Ginny Alexander talking about her debut novel, Dear Isabel, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you'd like to, please leave me a review. See you next time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.